What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and this podcast covers mindset, manifestation, travel, and lifestyle. Today is definitely a mix of all of those things as I sit down with mindset and manifestation coach, Afia Solter. She has such an amazing story from extreme grief and being an orphan to living life in Australia as a mindset and manifestation coach. She shares all the details of how she's healed and where she's at today. When we get into it, we talk about her farm work, which if you've listened to this podcast before, is something that I've discussed. It's how you get your second year visa in Australia. She tells us about her mindset during that time, how she overcame grief and the loss of her mother, how she's dealing with all the race issues today in the spiritual world, and really what she's here to do as a mindset manifestation coach. So I'm so excited to have her on today. You guys will not be disappointed and definitely get out a notebook and pen because she is someone that does what I love. She gives practical steps on how to manifest. So she's not going to tell you to just lean in and let go. Like if she does tell you that, she's giving you the real steps and the work to do. So get out your journals, get a pen, and get ready to take notes because her steps are so valuable. Now, if you're a first time listener, I always do updates in the beginning of the podcast around my travel because I was in Australia and then I dove right into my relationship with a German guy and now I live in Germany with him. So I like to give updates on just how everything's going. So with COVID, we're still in a lockdown and we're on a big lockdown. Germany is very strict with this. It's not like what I hear in America where people are like fighting back with the masks and going out in public without masks. That's not happening here. If you go into a store, you absolutely have to wear a mask. You can get fined. If you're not quarantining, people will come and knock on your door. Like they do not mess around here. So the lockdown actually feels in a way kind of refreshing for me because I have nothing else to do but work on my business. So it's providing a lot of clarity because I'm literally just sitting inside being like, okay, what do I really want to do that's going to light me up? So that's been helpful. But obviously there are times where I'm like, oh my God, I just want to go out to a restaurant and sit down and go on a date because that's something that when my boyfriend and I moved in together, We were in the middle of COVID, so we haven't really had like fun date night or being able to go get a glass of wine or anything like that. So obviously I do miss all that stuff. But at the same time, like I said, it's allowing us to see how we operate when there's nothing to do and no distractions. We literally just have our apartment and each other and the grocery store. That's like the three places that we're going is the bed, the apartment and the grocery store. So It's been an adjustment, but it has been so eye-opening because I do think we work well together. We're a really good team. He's in school and I work from home, so we're constantly on top of each other. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm going to go crazy if I have to do a podcast or a phone call or anything, and he's going to be right there and listening to all my things. But it's actually worked really well, and we just got another room in the flat, so we're actually in a shared flat. And we just got another room. So now I'm basically using this room as my office and he's using the other room or the kitchen. So it's working out and we do have to make an effort to keep the romance alive because, you know, time does not exist in COVID land. Like I'll be working and I'm like, wait, it's Saturday morning. Like where did the day go? And he has school and he's working on his homework and everything. So we're like, okay, we need to take a step back and actually do something fun with each other. So go walking outside, go walk around the lake, go get takeaway and eat it outside or do something. So it's an adjustment, but it's just something we're working through. 
Regarding the visa, so I am on a Schengen tourist visa. As an American citizen, you do not need a passport for the Schengen zones, and you can Google what those are. They're pretty much all the major European countries, and you can stay for 90 days without any official like paperwork. So when I came here, it's not like I had to apply for a visa and pay for it and go to a lawyer or anything like that. I just had this 90-day tourist visa. Now, when you leave the Schengen zone, it pauses. So when I went to England earlier this year for, I think, almost three weeks, it paused my 90 days. So it's not like I have 90 days back to back that I have to use. I got an extension basically because I had those three weeks in England. And remember, I came from Australia. So a lot of people are like, how did you get into Germany? What the hell? Like you're in Europe as an American citizen. I came from Australia and I have not been on U.S. soil since July of 2019. So I have been gone for so long that Australia is a low risk country. I don't know if you guys have seen. They're like back to normal surfing, swimming, hopping around with the kangaroos like they are totally fine. So when I came from there, a low risk country, it didn't matter about my passport. It mattered where you were coming from. Right. Like, of course, I can come from Australia because I just because I'm American, I wasn't on American soil. So that is how I got in. Now, if I leave and go back to America and try to come back, that's something I have to figure out because I have a lease here. So my name is actually on the lease. I went to the residence office and it actually says that my residence is here. My boyfriend is a legal German resident and citizen. So I don't know if there's some loophole there where I would be allowed back in for a certain reason. That's something I'm definitely going to have to deal with when I get to the end of my 90 days. And it's something that is not going to be fun. I already know it's going to be a lot of work and a lot of paperwork. Germany loves paperwork. It's so crazy. They're like obsessed with paperwork. If you go look at any of the visas, it's like two copies of this, 20 copies of this, five copies of this. And it's really hard to get in touch with them. This is something I'm noticing. Like everybody just passes the phone to somebody like, oh, sorry, wrong department. You're supposed to call this branch. Nope, nope, that's not us. You have to go call the head office and you just go in circles all day long. And then they have specific windows that you can call. It's like, oh no, we're not a 24 seven hotline. You have to call between one and two on Thursdays, but only every other Thursday of the month. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, I just need to talk to somebody, but you can't just walk in. You have to have an appointment. So there's a lot of red tape here. And that's what I heard coming here. Everyone's like, get ready to see their, get ready. They're very, um, they're really all about the paperwork. And I have found that to be absolutely true. So I know when I try to get another visa, it's not going to be easy, but it's it's also not going to be impossible. So that's what I always think. Yeah, maybe it's not easy, but it's not impossible. And it's just something I'm going to have to you know focus on. So that's where we're at with the visa. And relationship, I just told you where, where that's at. We're basically just working all day, every day. Then we watch TV at the end of the day to unwind. But we are a really good team. I find we read each other's energy really well. And lockdown has just proven why we're a good team. Like we're not on each other's throats. We're not irritable. We're not disrespectful of each other's space. We're both very independent. And so I think this lockdown has actually taught us that even more, like to respect our independent space and downtime. So it's been going really well. And then what else are German updates? I'm trying to think of like what I've learned here. The language is still really hard to adjust to. I can I can recognize certain words and I only know the bad words. My boyfriend only taught me like the cuss words. They definitely love sausage. That's a true stereotype. Like they snack on sausage. If you go to the markets, there's sausage everywhere. If you go to a farmer's market, they have sausage stands. So they love sausage. They also love honey. 
and they sell honey so differently. Like in America, we have this squeezy honey. In Germany, they have this like really, really thick honey that I remember looking at. I'm like, that's not honey. And my boyfriend's like, yes, it is. And now when we go to farmer's markets or the grocery store, like that's the type of honey they have. And now I'm used to it. So it's going to be interesting if I hop around and I ask for honey. Like now I'm so used to the German honey that it's going to be different when I go travel. What else? What else? The lockdown was supposed to be at the end of November, and then they basically just said they're going to extend it every two weeks, and then we'll see what happens after those two weeks, and then just keep extending. So unfortunately, the Christmas markets are canceled, and I heard German Christmas markets are the ultimate Christmas markets. So I'm very sad about that. I've seen so many travel bloggers post about the Christmas markets. When I moved here, everyone was like, get ready. The markets are insane. They're like the best ones in Europe. And all I'm seeing is that they're canceled, canceled, canceled. So that's unfortunate. We're going to have to make up our own little Christmas market in the house or something because I know they're known for that. I'm definitely sad to miss it, but it's just the reality of what's going on. So it's it hasn't been easy, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, I've become so accustomed now to everything being canceled that in my mind, I've kind of cleared my schedule in my head for the next like three or four months to not expect anything big to happen. Like I'm not expecting things to just open up and restaurants and retreats and bars and clubs. Like I'm just like, you know what, we're gonna have to do this for the next three months. Even if there's a a vaccine or anything, I've just convinced myself that the next three months is going to be like it is now so that I don't get disappointed. So I don't know if that's a mindset tip, just clear your schedule in your head for three months for nothing to happen. And maybe that will bring some peace, but it's working for me. Now, work-wise, I am really going through a period of looking inward and I really want to restructure a few things. This is something I'm going to talk about in my IGTV about lessons of entrepreneurship you will have a hundred ideas and you'll want to launch all of them at the same time at all different price points to totally different people. Like you want to do something here, something here, something in a format, something in audio, something with pictures. Like my mind is all over the place with ideas. And it just made me realize I have way too many offers and I'm trying to do everything at once. So really what the end of 2020 is about for me is restructuring these offers, going inward, and then I'm also creating a really amazing course that I'm going to announce next week and it will launch in early January. But that came to me because I had looked at my offers and like cleared my mind and been like, okay, yeah, this is the course that everybody needs. And this is what I'm going to work on for the rest of 2020 promoting and then leading into the new year. And I'm also just looking at what feels good, right? Like I know that sounds so simple, but there's just some things that we do that I'm like, every time I open my laptop and have to do it, I'm like, this doesn't feel good. Like I, it's draining my energy. I don't want to do it. I don't like doing it. So why the hell am I doing it? So there's just things that I'm looking at that I'm like, I don't really want to do that anymore. So I'm going to take it off my offer menu. I'm not going to offer it. I'm taking it off my website. I'm going to delete the offer because it just doesn't make sense for me to do it if I don't want to do it. And that's not always easy, right? Like if you're doing something and you're making money off of it and people have told you, wow, this is really helpful, it's actually hard to then get rid of that offer because you're like, well, why the hell would I get rid of it? I'm making money and helping people, but there's just something inside me that's like, yeah, but every time I have to do it, my energy is drained and then it takes me into this mental spiral of how much I don't want to do it. So I'm not going to do it. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are feeling that this year is like the end of 2020. They're just taking off December and going inward and being like, I'm just resting. Like this year has been a wild roller coaster. I'm going to take December off. And I don't disagree. I think there's 
so much work to be done, so much healing to be done, so much rest to be had that I can see why so many people are taking December off. And for me, it's very similar where I want to take like two weeks off where I'm just not launching anything, offering anything, marketing anything like, hey, I'm on holiday break as well. And this is why I started my own business was to have breaks. So yeah, get ready for that. I think there's going to be two weeks where I'm just not going to be really promoting anything except perhaps the podcast. So yeah, those are all the updates I have. If you guys have any questions about this and want me to record it into the podcast, let me know. I love to do solo updates and report back on my IGTV. So you can follow me at Chelsea Reif or at non-expert opinion pod. And with that, let's just dive right into this episode with Afia. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am so excited about today's guest, Effia Salter. She is a mindset and manifestation coach. You all know this is something I transitioned to this past summer. I think is going to be really exciting. We're going to get into everything about limiting beliefs, money, COVID, the works. I'm so excited about this. Welcome to the show, Effia. Thank you for having me. I just want to dive right in. Can you tell us exactly where you are and what you do? Yes. So right now I'm in Melbourne, Australia. I'm originally from Scotland though, but I've been living in Melbourne for the past four years. And I'm a mindset and manifestation coach for ambitious millennial women. And really my ethos is teaching millennial women how to manifest an extraordinary life and also the mindset necessary to overcome those kind of limiting beliefs and limiting stories that are stopping people from doing that already. Wow. So Scotland to Australia, that's a big jump, but we'll get into that in a second because we have such different backgrounds, but at the same time, so many similarities. What's interesting about your feed is if you look at your Instagram, it looks like you're someone that is just living your best life, living in the clouds, living in butterflies and rainbows. And maybe that's true, but I think there's a common misconception that then you haven't dealt with anything hard. Like you just don't have, you don't live in reality. And I know that's not the case. There's so many things that go on behind the scenes. So can you take us all the way back to baby Afia and what your childhood was like and growing up? Yeah, definitely. So it's funny when people ask about my story, I'm never really sure at which point to begin. But yeah, going back to baby Afia, I was actually adopted when I was three. So I was born in London, but I spent most of my life in Scotland. So I just say I'm from Scotland. And I was adopted when I was three, lived with my adoptive mom, who was also a single parent. But my mom actually fell ill when I was around maybe 11. And from the time till 11 to maybe 14, my mom was seriously ill, struggling from a long-term illness. And so it was almost like my sister and I actually almost took on the parent role and caring for someone else rather than ourselves. And we also had our little brother as well. Um, and then when I was 14, unfortunately, my mom passed away and that left my sister and I orphaned, which coming from a care background is a really challenging position to be in because obviously my mom was a single parent as well so that meant there was no one else to look after us and I just remember this like is it's, it's honestly kind of hard to describe the feeling of like one knowing that your parent has passed away but two like oh fuck where am I going to live now my sister and I ended up moving in with a family friend and kind of stayed living there till we went to university and spent my Teen, uh, like my late teens at university and then I went back to study my master's as well and it was always something that 
after my mom passed away, I was like, I still want to be able to have the same things as everyone else. And it's funny because back then I wanted to have the same as everyone else. Whereas now I'm like, oh, I could have different, I can go on a different path. I don't need to be, you know, copying what anyone else has to feel like I'm accomplished or fulfilled in my life. But back then all I wanted was to have the same opportunities as everyone else. And I remember I'd see things like people doing things for their families or going on school holidays and not being able to join on those things and feeling so left out. And now being at a point in my adult life where I've revisited that trauma, where I've built my mindset and where I've dived into all these manifestation techniques, it's fun to kind of revisit some of the things that when I was younger seemed like such a big deal to me, like the school ski trip. I was devastated. I couldn't go on it. And now as an adult, I've been on like two ski trips, one funnily enough in Australia, which I didn't even know was a thing. And it's really been this journey, not only of, you know, dealing with loss and being in the care system, but also beginning this journey of meeting who I truly am without feeling the need that I need to live up to something or create something to someone else's standards. It's really been about finding what's true to me and encouraging other people to find what's true to them. Wow. That is so, so inspirational. I feel like you're a warrior because so many people would hear this and think that it's impossible to get out of. So I would love to revisit the part where you mentioned, where are we going to live? Like, can you walk us through what was actually the first step and where was your mindset at, at this point? Yeah. So honestly, it was like getting the call that my mom had passed away. Like obviously she'd been seriously ill for some time, but we were never really sure when it's going to happen. It had just been like, oh, your mom's just always ill and just kind of feeling that that's all it's going to be. Like, it seems strange to say, but you never actually think, oh, she's going to pass away. So when that happened, it was just like, oh shit, now you really have to start thinking about your life. And I remember I was just like standing in my living room and I was like, I I honestly don't know what to do. And my gran was looking after us at this point and I was like, oh, well, maybe we'll just go and live with my gran. And then I think it was maybe like a social worker pointed out like your your gran is 83. It's not going to be possible for you to go and live with her. And actually six months after that, my gran ended up passing away. So that would have added, you know, and even another deeper layer to the situation. So at that time when I was like, oh my goodness, I don't actually know what to do. I picked up the phone and I, I, it was so strange. Like I just had this feeling that I needed to phone my friend's mom and I just phoned her. I was like, look, I honestly just have no idea what to do right now. Um, And she ended up coming over to the house and I remember chatting to her for a bit and she said, just don't worry about anything. And then she ended up moving into our house and looking after us until we went to university. Wow. And then you moved to university and I know you were saying you felt so left out at certain times. Can you walk us through what it was like actually in the moment? Like what were you feeling and where was your, where was your vision? So one thing was I definitely didn't really deal with things properly. I, even the day that we learned that my mom had passed away, I just went to school that same day and just continued going to school. I think I only ever took like two days off within that whole time period. I was just like, Honestly, it was just like fear, like I cannot fall behind. I just can't fall behind. And really that kind of followed me into university as well. Like I have to, I have to get really good grades. I have to get really good grades. I have to do really well at everything. And that perfectionism honestly gave me a lot of anxiety and also turned into quite a serious depression towards the end of my time at university because while I was at university, I was supported by social services. So that meant that they would help out with rent. And that was kind of one less thing to worry about. But when you finish uni, like it's not like you can email social services anymore. You don't have a social worker who's going to be like there if you've got a problem to approach. You're like truly on your own in the wild. And I, there was never really a point in time where I felt ready for that. Now, what about the healing 
process because you mentioned, you know, you started going on a journey and healing and revisiting these traumas and working through them. A lot of people don't know where to start. So how did you have the resources? How did you seek out resources? And really, what were the tools that were helping you? Um, So I think, you know, one of the biggest ones for me is good old traditional therapy. And that's something that I'd wanted for a really long time. And I definitely had asked for it many times, went to the doctors and asked for it many times. And in the UK, we have the NHS, which is free healthcare. But a kind of downside of the free healthcare is that when it comes to mental health services is that they're seriously kind of like limited in their resources. So you'd go to the doctors and say, I think I need to see someone for my mental health. And they'd be like, okay, in maybe like a year or two years, we can probably accommodate that. And for me, that just, it just didn't feel it didn't feel soon enough. And I do remember actually there was one point where I went to doctors and I was like, I think I'm depressed. And he's just like, oh, don't you have any friends you can talk to about this? And it just made me feel almost like ashamed of my struggles. So anytime after that, going to the doctors was always this like really anxiety ridden um, experience for me and worrying that I wasn't going to be, be believed. And it definitely led to me suppressing my feelings and not really dealing with my emotions even more because I was afraid of how they'd be perceived. And then when I got to my master's year of university, so I finished my undergraduate degree and then I went straight back and I did a master's, which is like a one-year degree. And during that first half of the year, I realized that I didn't want to be studying the degree. I'd just gone back for the sake of, okay, I'm going to be supported while I'm at uni. So I might as well just go back. I'm good at uni. I know what I'm doing here. And I realized pretty much (laughs) a couple of weeks into the course, no, this isn't it. This is for me. I don't want to be back at school. This is too much stress for me. And Again, all those feelings of what's my soul's purpose? What am I going to do after this? What am I going to do next? And there was a period of about two months when I just I just stopped going to university. I was honestly on the verge of failing and I was seriously depressed. I was hardly leaving the house or doing anything. And it just got to a point where things were really bad. And I had a friend who I would talk to and I was just like, I'm, I'm really, really struggling here. And what happened was he actually ended up coming with me to the doctors and advocating for me and just like, she needs to see someone like yesterday. And started going to therapy again which funnily enough it actually didn't work out but just the act of those few sessions with someone was enough to kind of jump start my personal development journey and I after that experience I kind of dived into reading more books doing personal development for myself learning to love myself again and also just learning to connect with what I wanted for me with you know not what I needed to be, but what I wanted to be. Wow. Okay. What the fuck is going on with these doctors that are just saying things that are so unhelpful? Like, I feel like every doctor needs to go to a mindset coach and have like mindset coaching in their own doctoral like training because something really similar happened to me with um, health. And I went to a doctor and she's like, well, do you cook? You know, maybe you could start cooking more meals. And I was like, yeah, I just really don't like cooking. I need something more simple. And she's like, you know, guys love a woman that cooks. You should really learn to cook. And I was like, excuse me? Like, this is not why I came to the doctor. Hearing you going through the same thing of a doctor telling you, like, basically just suck it up and go talk to someone is incredible that someone had the audacity to give you that advice, especially when it was clearly a deeper issue. But it's good to hear that you ended up being very resourceful and being like, okay, I'm going to go back and having that friend that advocated for you. I would love to talk about that. Like, what was your support system like during this time? And how did you seek support if you couldn't, if you felt like you didn't have any? Um, so I've always had, you know, really great friends alongside me. And even during that period of my master's year at university, all my friends, my flatmates were 
wanting to support me but it was always kind of that feeling of nobody quite understands like the experience that I'm going through like I didn't really have any um I didn't have many other close friends who'd lost a parent or didn't have any other parents at all and when I talk about these things like obviously someone can try and relate to you but at the same time I felt like I didn't want to burden people with how I was truly feeling so I'm not sure I ever truly expressed like the weight of what I was dealing with Mm, okay so you never expressed it and how did that start manifesting into your reality um I think I was I was partying a lot in my master's years definitely I was partying a lot and not really looking after my mental health at all I was just kind of ignoring things and um just hoping to get through the year really just hoping to make it through but not really enjoying any of that time in the process Yeah, I relate. I went to a really big party school and I feel like I masked all my insecurities with like blackout drinking, blackout partying. Um, Very, very, very like looking back, I'm like, how did I not die? I was like blacking out five nights a week and it was just not cute. And very similar to you, I found a cognitive behavioral therapist after working in corporate America and then finding the tools. So you mentioned you started reading books and just really working on your self-development. Is there one resource that really sticks out to you that you were like, whoa, this is going to change my life? I think it was a CBT technique of kind of assessing like, um, I don't know the actual proper term for it, but basically you like write out your problem and then you kind of wait how serious it actually is and seeing that, okay, is this actually likely to happen or is it as dramatic as I'm thinking? No. And then the other thing was kind of realizing how resilient I'd already been. Like I'd already been through so much in my life that there hadn't been anything I haven't got through. It's almost like remembering who the fuck I was and kind of just leaning into that and knowing that I could get through anything no matter what. And as long as I believed in myself, I would be okay. I love that. I loved CBT. I love reframing. I loved my CBT therapist. By the way, everyone, that's cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's a really great resource. I want to talk about manifesting specifically. And what was your first introduction to the manifestation world? Uh, As with many people, it was the documentary, The Secret, and watching that the first time and getting into that, I was like, wow. And I always say that for me, watching The Secret, it didn't it's it's strange to explain but it almost didn't feel like I was learning something new but it was like something that I knew and watching it was like yeah this makes sense to me so the secret was my first introduction and then from there it spanned into personal development books listening to podcasts and experiencing it for myself and when did you start getting into manifestation was this around your master's and this whole time or was this way later yeah so this was back in 2016 Okay. So 2016, you start getting into manifesting. Like you said, similar to a lot of people, we watch The Secret. But then what? Like you watch The Secret and you decide something, you start playing with something. Like what was your next step after watching that? So after watching The Secret, I told anybody who would listen. um, And then I had like kind of this vision board party with one of my friends. And this was during that kind of, I always say 2016 is like one of the worst years and best years of my life because the beginning was just like so hard and so difficult. And by the end of it, I'd traveled alone for the first time. I was living abroad in Australia. Like I truly loved myself and the person who I was becoming. So during that time period, I created this vision board and Part of the things were on there were moving to Australia, traveling for the first time, having all of these experiences, and then actually living them and living out those dreams was really my first experience with like consciously manifesting something. So that move, it sounded like, was your your evidence that this stuff works. Yeah. I want to talk about this move. Why Australia? 
Um, I think it's one, it's quite far away from Scotland and I don't like the cold at all. And we were just heading into winter in the UK and I was just about to finish my master's, but throughout the time of my master's, I'd realized that I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into a digital marketing career. I was like, well, if I go into a job now, I'm going to find it really difficult to leave and then take the time out. So I'll go to Australia for a year to kind of figure things out because a working holiday visa is um, well, I didn't have that many friends that had done it, but I had a couple of friends who were having like a really good time over there. So I was like, Ooh, maybe this is something that I could do as well. And I was actually supposed to be going with another friend. And then three weeks before she was like, yeah, I'm not coming anymore. So I ended up going alone. Wow. And what was that like? So three weeks before I pretty much just spent like days crying. I was like, how am I going to do this? Oh my God, I can't travel alone. Um, Because I'd had the year before I was meant to be going on a Euro trip as well with a friend. And then when she bailed, I was like, okay, well, this is just something that I'm going to have to come back to when I have a friend who can come with me. And then seeing that pattern repeat itself again another year, I'm like, it's going to just keep happening and I'm just going to keep passing up opportunities for the sake of other people. So with with a little bit of pushing from some friends as well, I decided to do it. The other thing as well is that I'd obviously given up my apartment. I wasn't going to have anywhere to live. I'd finished my degree. I wasn't going to have a job. So I kind of had to go and I told everyone I was leaving. So I was like, can't go back on my word now. So yeah, I was terrified even on the plane. I was crying and then it was like I stepped off the plane and it was just like, wow, this is incredible. Oh, I can so relate. I did the working holiday visa last year. And like you said, you get off the plane and you're just like, I feel like on a new planet. Like I got off the plane in Sydney. And so I saw like the harbor, uh, the opera house. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, can you express what you were feeling when, you know, you started settling into that first, second week or even first and second month? Yeah. So first of all, I actually went to Asia. So my first, um, my first stop was Bangkok and the culture shock was crazy. Like I was sitting in the taxi on the way into the city and just like looking around, seeing like a whole family on a motorbike, a dog on a motorbike. I'm like, this is crazy. And I kind of love it. And one of my fears around traveling solo was that I would not make any friends. And within the first hour I'd made a friend And funnily enough, we bumped into each other randomly again on the beach in Australia, bumped into each other randomly again on our farm work and just like kind of kept bumping into each other throughout our time in Australia. So that was a nice nod to that. And the people that I did meet all those years ago in Thailand have become some of my closest friends. So it just proved to me within that like week that, oh, things aren't as bad as you're making out in your head. And it's actually pretty easy to meet people and it kind of brought up this, I would never say that I've been shy or not very confident, but the idea of solo traveling just seems so new to me. But then it, seeing that I could still be myself and still be confident in these other situations just proved to me like, okay, we can do this and encouraged me to put myself in more solo traveling situations as well. So though I was based in Australia, I think I maybe traveled to mm, maybe 10, 10 countries while I've been in Australia as well, gone to other countries in Asia by myself. Wow, that's so big because solo travel is just, you hear that word and some people are like, ooh, no, 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 too scary, especially being a female. There's a lot of fear around safety and, you know, just going to, like you said, countries with culture shock. So you talked a little bit about confidence, but I want to dive into that more. Where do you think you developed the confidence to just make such a big decision to move abroad and then continuing to work on your confidence to even do what you're doing now? I think it's 
Well, from a young age, even before my mum passed away, we'd be in situations where my mum was an artist. And I remember like one of my favorite things to do would be having my little stand and selling her books at exhibitions and galleries and things like that. So I always like loved being around people. That's just something I've always loved to do. And even in these new experiences, I guess, is that initial adjustment period. But I definitely see myself as quite an, ex- well, definitely before COVID, definitely quite an extroverted person. I just love the energy of being around other people and learning from other people and hearing their experiences. So although I did have that kind of dip in confidence at the beginning of 2016, by the end of 2016, I was definitely feeling more myself again and perhaps even more confident when I was than I was before. And, you know, people often say with personal development you become a completely different person but for me I've, I've never felt that I've never felt like I became a completely different person I've just felt like I've been peeling back the layers of myself oh I love that like you've always been you you're just now a more expressed you mm-hmm. wow so you're in Australia you're traveling bopping around starting to realize how fun it is to solo travel you even do your farm work which I always talk about on my podcast how funny it is hearing the word farm work coming from corporate America, I was like, what the hell is happening? So I actually really want to touch on that fast. Like when you had to do your farm work, did you just know about it from everybody doing the working holiday visa? Or were you like, what the fuck? I have to work on a farm. Like, tell us about that mindset process. Wow. My farm work experience. So I knew about it before I'd even moved to Australia. I was like, that is something I'm absolutely not doing. And I only envisioned myself staying in Australia for a year, but then you get here, you're enjoying yourself and you're like, okay, maybe this farm work thing is worth it. And I had been like, you know, I never want to be someone who's working on a fruit farm. I've had horror stories of that. I'm like, that's definitely something I don't want to do. So through a mutual friend, I'd managed to get this farm work position. Like I didn't have to compete with people for the role. It wasn't on a fruit farm. They actually had this loophole that it was kind of like an animal farm. But what we'd be doing is working in a caravan park. So basically as hotel staff, like a what do you, like a turndown service basically for a caravan park, which if you're from the UK is not allowed. If I know if you're like on a US visa that you're allowed to do multiple different things for your farm work. But for the UK, you're only allowed to do the stuff that is like animal farm or fruit farm. So I felt really lucky that I got this one on this loophole. And then I got there and I was actually fired after five days. What? What got you fired? Yeah. So, okay. My second day I was called into the office and she's like, Hey, Afia, some of the girls have said that you've been on your phone and I just feel like you're not really a team player. You know, I'm never really wrong about people. My intuition is telling me that you're not a good fit for this role, but we'll give you a few more days. And I had like been on, on my phone at a couple of points, but it's just because I felt kind of awkward because the girls were like leaving me out with things or just be like, oh, we're just going to do this because we know how to do it. So we do it quicker. So I would just kind of go on my phone because I just felt awkward and I didn't know what else to do. But after that discussion with her, I was like, okay, I'm just going to leave my phone in the caravan. We also lived in caravans, by the way. So I was like, I'll leave my phone in the caravan for the day, go out to work, give it my all. And then three days later, I was called back to the office in the middle of the evening. And she's like, hey, yeah, I'm going to have to let you go. There have been reports of you recklessly driving a golf buggy. I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, um, two people saw you reverse into... (laughs) 
reverse into a wheelie bin. I've never learned how to drive. So with this golf buggy, I was like kind of getting the hang of things and I accidentally reversed into a bin. I was like, I'm getting fired for reversing into a bin. And I came back into my caravan. I was like crying, like, oh my God, I can't believe I've been fired. The girls were like, do you want us to go and talk to her? Um, and I spoke to some of my friends and they're like, this just doesn't really seem like a legitimate reason to fire someone. You need to go back and ask her what's really happened. So I went back to ask her about what had really happened. And she was like, yeah, the girls don't really want you to be here whoa 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 so what happened then like what were you feeling and how did you overcome this like extreme hardship to me is like getting fired and then hearing that out loud I mean what was that like it was it was honestly awful and the thing is it was so far away like I'd moved out from my place in Melbourne to go do this farm work which was um in New South Wales as well so I'd had to get a flight a bus and a train to get there and I was going to have to leave the next morning. And it just felt, one, it felt really humiliating. But two, it was like, what am I going to do now? I've only got a certain amount of time left to actually get my farm work in. Does this mean I'm going to have to go back to the UK? I'm not ready for this. I don't have anywhere to live. Where am I going to go? So I actually ended up going back to Melbourne and uh, my friend let me stay with him for two weeks. And during that time, I was looking for jobs. And it just, it, you know, when you hear these like really simple pieces of advice and it's not like they've said anything groundbreaking, but it just sticks with you. And during that time where I was super stressed out about finding a farmer position, he's like, yeah, things always work out. And whenever I'm going through a situation, I just remember him saying that and thinking like how many situations have just always come to work out in the end. So I ended up paying another company to find me a farm job. And a week later, I was flying out for a new farm job on this banana farm. And honestly the work was really challenging and horrible but the people there were really great and ended up living in this working hostel it was like party central there and I'm not these days like I'm not a huge partier but it was a fun environment to be in when you're all going through this shared collectively horrible experience and um the community aspect and meeting people has was definitely worth it but would I do farm work again absolutely not yeah, that's what a lot of people say. They're like, would I do it again? No, but the people and the experiences and the, the you know, the learning lessons were absolutely incredible. So what did you learn from your time there? Um, I learned to be more open to different experiences. We would go away and do all of these things on the weekends when we're not at the farm. I learned that you can get through challenging um, work environments. It was like, if you're listening to this podcast, it's kind of difficult to explain like just what the work environment is like when you're on your farm work, but essentially you are so replaceable because they know how desperately people want these farm jobs. So you have no job security. So like I was, you can be fired in an instant. And that doesn't really happen. You know, if you were back in the UK, there would be a whole process you have to go through. But on the farm jobs, there's no process. They can just fire you like that. And even on the banana farm, Every day I went there, I didn't know whether I was going to have a job the next day because you didn't know your shifts until that evening. So if you'd done something wrong or they didn't like the look of you, you might not be on the list the next day. So I always had that underlying feeling of, oh my God, it could be me tomorrow. So that was the experience as well. And there would be a supervisor would just like walk around watching everyone from this like balcony from above, just like watching you all. And there was just this sense of tension around the whole farm of everyone feeling like we really need this job. Please don't fire us. Oh, yeah, the dread of like, I could I get let go tomorrow, but I need these days because if not, I can't get my second year visa. And everyone, like you said, when you get there, you don't want to do it, but then everybody does it. So you're like, well, then I guess I have to do it because I don't want to miss out on the second year. And it's like life experience that you learn. But like you said, it's not fun. It doesn't sound like it was like, ooh, what a fun, good time. So 
I'm curious where your mindset was at now here, because you had previously said this is when you started realizing that like mindset and manifestation was something that you were really drawn to. So were you still like reading self-development books or listening to podcasts or anything? Like where were you at this time with all of that? Yeah. So listening to audiobooks is what got me through my farm work. Like listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks is what got me through my farm work. You're not allowed to, the farm I worked at, you're not allowed to talk to anyone during your shift apart from your break. For context, by the way, my job was packing bananas. So I'm sitting in front of a box. Bananas are coming down a conveyor belt. And my job is to quickly put them into my box. And you're expected to pack like 250 of these boxes a day. Like I think it's like 16 kilograms of bananas as well. Yeah. So you're expected to pack these boxes really quickly, not get any bad bananas in the box and keep the conveyor belt moving and not have like any stoppages. <laughs> Unbelievable. So what were some of the podcasts and audiobooks that you were listening to that you found really life-changing? So I love anything by Brené Brown. I think especially when you can listen to audio versions of her books, she's just so hilarious. And actually her Netflix special, Call to Courage, is amazing as well. So I listen to her audiobooks. I listen to Eckhart Tolle, um, The Power of Now, which is something I have tried to read as a book, but I found it. It was hard. It was hard to read it in physical form. So listening to the audiobook, I listened to that more than once. I also listened to the Guys We Fuck podcast, which was really amazing as well. Okay, so you you're still actually consuming all this content and knowledge and then you wrap up your farm work and now what's next like do you start thinking this is something I want to work on or coach on like tell us about the transition into what you're doing today Okay, so honestly, the transition into then, this is something that I'm going to teach, really didn't come till a lot later. And although it was something that was on my mind in 2017, it was something that I wasn't entirely sure how to make into like a career path. Like I'd seen online courses and things like that. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. So I knew I wanted to start my own business because my time in Australia was coming to an end. Like I've had such a great time here. I've had a really freedom-filled life and I don't want to go back to the UK and kind of resent how different things are. So I'm going to start my own business, have my own money, be able to travel whenever I like. And honestly, although it's going through my head in that time, is like, I want to be able to not spend winter in Scotland. So I actually started a digital marketing agency. I hired a business coach and she helped me set that up. To begin with, I was super excited about it, super jazzed about it. And then as time went on, I realized like, I still don't like digital marketing. This is still not something that I want to work in. And I just didn't want to be doing it anymore, but I continued with it for a year. And then it got to a point where I, I felt miserable, honestly, because I was juggling that with my, I was travel blogging as well. So I was doing travel blogging. I was doing the digital marketing agency. I was working a part-time job at a bar and my social life as well. And it was just so many things. And the struggle to manage everything was it was a lot, especially when I my head wasn't fully in the social media business. So it got to a point where I was working with a different coach and this was more of a spiritual coach rather than a business coach. And at the beginning of our time together, we set these goals and I was like, yeah, I want to have this many clients by this date. And every time we'd show up for a session, I would just cry on all of the sessions. And it just got to a session which is like, do you actually want to do this? And I was like, no, I don't. And she's like, okay, here's what you're going to do. Just take a week away from this business or even two weeks you can let people know if it'll make you feel better and then if you want to go back great if you don't don't go back and I just didn't go back after that one week off wow and then I want to actually talk about the coaching thing like you 
new to hire a business coach or someone told you? Because a lot of people don't even know about coaching. So how did you even find your first coach? My first coach was actually Elise Dharma, who's an Instagram coach. And I had done one of her Instagram trainings and then I'd just been following her and a travel blogger that I follow, the bold brunette, so Christina Galbasso, had written a blog post about her experience coaching with Elise and the kind of crossover between both of those things, like, oh, this could be the person that could help me. And she had this course that was both like a really intense course on helping you start your own business and then with the coaching sessions every two weeks and I was like wow this sounds like exactly what I need and what did you learn from that coaching container so I learned like the style of coaching I learned what it's like to work one-on-one with someone in that aspect I learned the tools necessary to set up a business and those are still tools I go back to now the from the social media to testing out an idea before you actually you know spend and invest loads of your time into it to to how to promote yourself, to building your email list, like so many different things that go into building a business that was really useful. And although the digital marketing business is not something that I decided to take forward, these are still things that apply to my now coaching business. That's amazing. Did you ever have any bad coaches? Because I've heard some horror stories. So I'm interested to hear if this has happened to you. I probably would say no no one that I've invested in long term has been a bad coaching experience I did have like one coaching experience where I felt she made like a race related comment that didn't really sit with me very well but that was a one-off session and not something that I decided to continue with and that's interesting because coaching is a big investment sometimes sometimes not and you were in Australia was this a few years after your, you said after the digital marketing agency is when you decided to do this. So a lot of people listening are like, well, where do you get the money to invest in a coach? Like I don't have $5,000 in my checking ready to send. So how did you find the resources to, and what would you tell someone that is having trouble, you know, really investing in themselves? Um, so I would say I've always been someone who's been quite resourceful with money. I've always had savings. I've never been in a position where I didn't have savings to fall back on. But I know that that's not possible for everyone. Not everyone feels like they're in that situation, especially also living in Australia. The wages here are really good. You can save money quite easily. And also on the farm, you're not really having things to spend money on. So you save so much money. I think I was living on like $50 a week, 50 Australian dollars. I'm not sure what that translates to as US, but it's not very much money. So I was saving all that money from the farm. So I did have this bank of savings. And to me, it wasn't an expense. It was an investment. It was something that I was going to make back from the money that I made myself. So for people who are struggling to come up with the money to invest in coaching, number one, like work out, is this something like I truly want? Like how much do I want it? And also what is the potential return that I'm going to get back on this? And for something like a spiritual coach, not necessarily a business coach where you can be like, okay, this is going to get me to like 10K months or whatever amount of money. For something like a spiritual coach, consider where you are at in your life and how you feel. For me, When I invested in my spiritual coach, I was feeling really stuck. I was feeling really uncertain about where I wanted to go next. I really loved the energy of this coach and that was something I wanted to be around. So that was worth it for me. So when it comes to you, don't just invest in a coach because people say that coaching is great. Coaching is so amazing. Invest in a coach because it's someone whose energy you can really relate to. Invest in a coach because they're going to move you from point A to point B and point A to point B doesn't always need to be a monetary place. It needs to be something that matters to you. So it's a very personal decision, I would say, is to choose someone that really fits with what you need. Yes, yes, yes. And listen to your gut. I've definitely been on discovery calls with a coach that I'm like instantly just like something's off. 
But that then I've somehow invested in them because I'm like, oh, well, they have good testimonials. They have a track record. But then the whole time I'm on the call or on the meeting, I'm just like, Ugh, I don't want to be here. Like something is just off. So it's so important what you said about the energy piece, not just their track record and the testimonials. Yeah, definitely. Because although, you know, you can do all your pros and cons until the cows come home, but how you actually feel about that person is very important. And even if it's something that seems like silly to you, like, oh, she mentioned that she, like, for example, is a Harry Potter fan. And I really vibe with that because I'm a Potter head too. And it seems like a really stupid reason to hire a coach. But if that's something that resonates with you, do it. Similarly, if she says something and just the way that, I'm sorry, I'm assuming it's a he, she, he, they, you know, if they say something that doesn't entirely sit right with you, even if it's something that you think other people would think would sound silly, listen to your intuition because your intuition never lies. A hundred percent never lies. It's always in your gut. Like you feel it in your stomach, like, oh, I don't want to feel this. So I actually want to touch on something you mentioned about the race related comment that turned you off and something that we've really seen come to light this year. And it's actually something that you posted about in the Facebook group that we met in, which I believe was one of Manifestation Babe's Facebook groups, um, which I love, Catherine's and Kina. And we've seen this year more than ever, and especially in America, race has become such an issue, especially in the spirituality world where people are not included and it's become a very whitewashed industry. I would love your opinion on this whole industry, both coaching and spirituality. And where do you think people can improve and what are they doing wrong? Like, what are we just getting wrong? I think it's not inviting people to the table. So many people will think, well, because I'm white, I cannot speak from a black perspective. And obviously you you can't speak from a black perspective, but you can reach out to other people that can speak from a black perspective to either guest coach or to speak on your podcast or to share that input. And also paying those people as well. If you're going to invite someone to coach in your course, make sure that you're paying them. And I know for a lot of black women, there is this in many industries as well. This is something that I also experienced in the travel blogging industry is that white and black counterparts are not being paid the same thing. And for the white coaching industry is that kind of everyone's friends with each other so that black people are not getting these opportunities or other women of color are not getting these opportunities because they're kept among almost like this circle of friends. It feels like you can never really rise to the top when you're not invited to sit at the table. So when I announced as well that I was launching my podcast and I said one of the reasons that I was launching it was because it was so important for me to not only share my voice as a black woman, but to invite other black women to share their voices because something I experienced from travel as well was that so many women would reach out to me and they're like, oh, you're the first like black woman I've seen solo traveling. Or can I just ask you how this country was as a black woman? And you have to understand there are things, there are nuances that you just, you wouldn't understand as a white person through no fault of your own, but you do have the conscious choice to be able to educate yourself from that point of view and to be able to invite other people to speak on areas that you can't. So that's something that I've realized across industries is that you need to see and you need to hear people that look like you. Otherwise, you feel like you're just not welcome. Right. And and thank you so much for sharing this perspective and and this reflection that it's so true. There's this almost circle of people that someone's collaborating on a mastermind. They do, you know, podcast networks just collaborate with each other and you just see the same people over and over just going on each other's podcasts and you don't realize it. And then you just look and you're like, wait, every single person is just collaborating with each other and never leaving that circle of influence, so to speak. So it's so interesting to to hear your point of view and, 
and how we can do better as not only, you know, podcasters and coaches, but as a collective to hear these different voices. So who are some of your favorite mentors, coaches, podcasters um, that are women of color? Um, I love Natasha Soleil. She has a podcast called Unleash Your Inner Celebrity. She's taking a little break from it at the moment, I think, because she's pregnant, but I know that she's restarting it later this year. Barry on Barry, she talks about period health for women and kind of mindset around that as well, which I really love. Love, love, love. I love um, Womanifester. It's like a good name, Womanifester. And then Tori Washington and Fallon Satterfield, I think is her name. She oh, just yeah, I follow her Instagram as well, yes. Yes, I just watched her Instagram TV. I'm like, woo, I am fired up after her watching her energy. Like, she's amazing. So thank you for sharing these amazing bombshell women. Something I want to talk about, too, is even with manifesting, manifesting can be such a polarizing word. And a lot of people, I find there's two assumptions that it's like wishful thinking, woo woo, living in the clouds, like magic. And then there's other people that are like, well, of course you can manifest your life is easy. So I would love your perspective on the word and what it means to you. Yeah, I think a lot of people see it as a very privileged term. And I think it just depends on the way the person who is sharing that word is expressing it because obviously you know when you say things like it's possible to manifest your reality we say this with a knowing that there are people in war-torn countries or people in all of these horrible difficult situations and obviously they can't just like think themselves out of that situation so I think it's not very fair to say things like that but when you understand that you can consciously manifest through mindset practices like understanding how your particular active fitting system works and how you can attract the things that you positively focus on rather than you need to be thinking positively all the time and if you're in a shitty situation that you brought that to yourself so for example you know I went through all these hardships when I was younger and if I believed in the school of thought that like everything literally you that you think about you brought upon you it'd be like well is it's your fault that your family life was all fucked up it's your fault that you have to go through all that grief from those sad experiences as a child, which I definitely don't believe. So I think it's when, especially when there's so much focus on positive thinking and negative thinking rather than higher awareness, self-awareness, self-compassion, that's when the lines begin to get blurred and people feel like it isn't realistic. And true and also you know my perception of modern manifestation is that it combines science strategy and spirituality and there will be people of course who have a completely different point of view from I have but the way that I conceptualize it and the way that makes sense for my world and the people that I teach is that it combines all of those elements and yes there is this having faith in the universe piece to it but there's also this having faith in yourself piece to it and the other thing as well with many people seeing manifesting as something for privileged people or that it's selfish to want to manifest all of these things is bear in mind that when you are chasing your desires and you are claiming this space, you are not only setting an example for other people, but if you're earning more money, you are in a position where you can invite other people to the table. You're in a position where you can share your point of view. If you think it's a viewpoint that isn't well heard, you're in a position where you can recommend resources. And, you know, for me, it's also important to recommend other black creators and to reach out to other black creators or other black coaches and having that platform, having manifested that platform enables me to share that message. So I do understand from that perspective, but I think it's, the manifestation methods or techniques that you're healing from people that don't necessarily gra sound grounded is where the problems come in. So what if someone's listening and they're like, okay, that actually makes sense, 
but now what's the very first step or first thing I can do to start shifting my thinking into a more, you know, things working for me, that manifestation can actually work for my desires? What would you tell them? So first of all, is the point that we are all manifesting all the time. You look around you, your life that you've created, and, you know, maybe you haven't consciously manifested something, but you already have the ability to think that's something I want, that's something I'm going to get, and bringing your thought into a physical reality. Now, the second point to mention is that when you learn that you can consciously manifest things into your reality, you might hear it and think, okay, like this sounds cool. I might like to do that manifesting thing one day, but you don't truly believe it until you've actually seen it work in your life. So you need to give yourself like a micro example of it actually working because until that point, you have faith that it might work out. You think "Mm, this could work out, but until you have like the facts, the evidence, if you're someone who's skeptical, then you're never going to believe it. So you need something to happen um, in your life because you can listen to as many podcasts of other people doing it until you see it for yourself. You're not going to believe it. So something as small as manifesting a cup of coffee or someone buying you dinner or, you know, not everything has to be money related either. Just pick something that you feel like okay, if this happens, then I'll, then I'll know that I can believe in the process. And then the third thing that I like to teach my clients and students is a five-step framework for manifestation. And one of the things that's very important for me is expressing that manifestation is so different from person to person. And we all have what I like to call a spiritual toolbox of practices that work for us. And the practices that I use might not necessarily be the practices that you use, but having an overarching framework means you're allowed to say, okay, this is a step that I need to do. And these are the things from my spiritual toolkit that are going to enable me to hit it. So the first step of that framework is V, which is embody the vibe. And that is about thinking about your next level, higher version of yourself looks like. I'm really painting out the vision because so many people will start manifesting their desires from the intention place. But what I realized is when you start from the intention place and not from the place of this is my higher vision, then that leads to a place where you might be manifesting these things and have this gut check and be like, oh wait, this isn't actually something I wanted, or this isn't something that really fits in with the person who I am. This is something that I feel like I was influenced to want or something that I feel like you know, I feel like I should have rather than something you truly desire to have for yourself. So first step is embodying that vibe of your next level self and not waiting until, oh, when I have this, this is how my life is going to be, but embodying that as if it were already true now. Then once you've done that, you can go to the intention setting stage and that's what you desire to have and really focusing on it from a place of going towards what you want rather than like, I don't want to be in debt. Instead of saying something like that, it would be like, okay, I want to have like a healthy bank account or I want to have X amount of money in my bank account. I'm being really clear on it. I think so many people are afraid to get clear on their desires because they're like, oh, well, what if I change my mind or what if this isn't something I want? But if you don't get clear, then it's just like this wish that's living in your head. It's not going to materialize when you're not giving any power to it. So yes, you can say like, I want to have X amount and maybe at a later date you'll change it, or maybe it doesn't happen by the date that you're imagining, but having something to work towards makes it tangible and makes it real, which is something that's very important to kind of cement the idea of manifesting in your mind. Moving on from that is boundaries and setting clear energetic boundaries with not only your time, who you allow into your life, but things that you're available for and things you're absolutely not available for. Because when you're giving your time away to this, you're not giving your time to yourself and time for yourself is not selfish. When you give the most to yourself, you can then 
continue to pour out of that cup and give to other people. But when you're spreading yourself so thin under, you know, trying to be everything for everyone but yourself, it's too much. It's too much for one person to handle. And I've definitely experienced this myself, especially in relationships where I've given so much of myself that I've almost begun to lose a piece of myself. So setting those energetic boundaries about what you are and are not available for is such a crucial part of the manifesting journey that I think I think many people leave out. Fourth step is energy and balancing your masculine and feminine energy. And energy from a point of masculine and feminine is not like men have masculine energy, females have feminine energy. We all have these different types of energy and the masculine is more of the hustle and the do and the feminine is more of the flow and the ease and you want to combine both of these to take inspired action so what that means is that when you're acting on manifesting your desires it's not coming from a desperate place of i need it to happen now i need it to happen now it's from a calm and collected place of oh i was inspired to do this it doesn't entirely make sense but i'm just going to follow that nudge and see where it lands and then finally the last step is surrendering the how and just knowing that things are always working out for you. And one of the best tips I'd love to give people for this is to track your successes daily. At the end of every day, write down three successes you've had. And then at the end of the week, you'll have 21 successes. And you look back at those micro successes and see how powerful you are, how capable you are of bringing your desires to life, that it seems almost laughable that you what you want wouldn't materialize love, love, love the micro successes. I am going to start doing that. I do something similar like self-acknowledgement and I did it last night because I'm sure you've gone through this as an entrepreneur where you start to feel behind. Like I should have launched this last week. Should I launch another course? What am I doing? And then I just wrote down everything I did for the day and I'm like, holy shit, you did a lot of stuff. Like why are you so hard on yourself? So I love that you call them micro successes and Number three and four are so huge to boundaries, something I'm still working on, even though I've been in this world for like five years, I'm still working on boundaries and feminine and masculine energy. So, so big. It's something I just learned about this year. And I had that conception that you're talking about that. Oh, well, I'm a female, so I need feminine energy and feminine energy means put on lipstick and jewels and masculine means like wear. I had such a different concept around it. So when you are saying that, let's say someone's hearing about this for the first time, like what's an example of a man being in his feminine? So a man being in his feminine. So with masculine and feminine energy, masculine is like the giving energy and female is the receiving energy. So a man being in his feminine energy is in the act of receiving. And from like an anatomy point of view, um, you can see, you know, the giving and receiving, how that would like look in the body form. But you can also have like, you know, wounded masculine and feminine and then when you're in your power and people think like feminine can be like oh submissive and just laid back and chill but a woman who is fully embodying her feminine energy is so fucking powerful and it's such a force to be reckoned with and the other thing is knowing that when you're off balance it's not necessarily like oh need to bring myself back to 50 50 it's everyone will have kind of a level that feels right for them so some people might be 60 40 other people might be 80 20 but it's about understanding your own personal baseline and knowing where like where you are at when you feel like most supported and continuing to do practices that are enable you to get back to that and i feel as women particularly we find it hard to take time for ourselves 
And knowing that self-care practices are not just like, oh, I'm just going to sit in a bubble bath, but also things like journaling. And the really, I know, I'm sure this is something that you've talked about a few times as well, is that self-care a lot of the time and manifesting a lot of time is really kind of these ugly crying practices that are going to take a lot out of you, but they're so important to do the kind of not so cute, not so like Instagrammable work is a huge, huge part of that. Oh, yes. That is like what exactly what I went through, like constant crying, constant healing, more crying, more crying. And then it was like, okay, I think we can move on to the next thing. Oh, wait, more crying. So like you said, it's a lot of releasing. And I love what you said about women. A woman being in her feminine is a force to be reckoned with. I got chills when you said that. I was like, whew, so true. So I have a few more questions and then I just want to move to rapid fire questions. Let's say that someone is having a really rough time, especially with COVID. Like maybe they're going through a breakup. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they lost a family member. So all this stuff just seems so far off. They're like, this doesn't even seem real because I'm so, so down in the dumps. What is like the first step or first action item you would give them? Honestly, I can really relate to this from my own experiences at the beginning of the year. So if you don't know, Melbourne had um, two quite long lockdowns in our second lockdown. I think it was three months and the first one was maybe two months. And I found it quite challenging, especially at the beginning of both of these lockdowns and knowing that I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back to the UK, see my family. It's already been a year. I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back there. I don't know if when I go back there, I'm also going to be able to come back to Australia. So it's about timing that out. But also so many other things like, um, you know, uh, losing one of my jobs because due to COVID, there were just like so many factors at play. And I felt so heavy at the beginning of this time period. So at the beginning of April, I felt so heavy and it felt there was so much weighing on my mind. And basically every day I would go to my journal, it would basically just be bitching about my life. And then it got to this point where I was writing all these problems, but I realized that I hadn't actually taken any actions towards resolving these problems. And that was such a huge revelation for me. So maybe you're at a point right now where you feel like you truly can't take any action, which is completely fine. We all have those moments, but even if you can't take any action, just start the practice of journaling and seeing what really the biggest issue is for you. Because although you might think it's one thing, when you begin journaling, you might notice other patterns begin to come up. So if you can commit to journaling, even for just two weeks, I'm going to write every day and then going back after those two weeks and reading over everything and being like, okay, what's my biggest issue here? And like, what are some tiny, small steps I could take to resolving the biggest issue? Who can I call on? What resources can I call on? What friends can I reach out to? Literally anything any possible solution to this problem. And I will see, especially in relation to money, that in some of the manifesting groups I'm in, people will say, okay, like I need to manifest this amount of money, like ASAP. And people are giving them some very spiritual based solutions, like, you know, write this out 55 times and just like pray at night, whatever, which is great. But also you need to take some practical steps. And for me, one of those things is writing a list of possible actions I could take. And you're not going to necessarily have to go through and take every one of those actions, but you're signaling to yourself that every problem can be solved, that there's always solutions to come up. And just the act of writing down the list will make you feel so much better. Oh my gosh. Yes. I am all about practical action, like real steps, because that's the biggest issue, right? People are like, do the work, do the work. And then 
people are like, well, what's the work? Like, I don't get it. What is the actual work? And you just gave us such specific items to work with. So thank you. These are all super helpful. And you talked about journaling a lot. So it seems like that's one of your favorite tools. So can you tell us a few more of your favorite rituals or tools that are just non-negotiables? Yeah, definitely. So journaling, absolutely one for me. And it's funny because I just didn't really get it to begin with. I'm like, I don't understand why I would be writing a diary. I'm 27. I'm too old for this. And when I actually started doing it, I was like, wow, this hits different. So journaling and there's a number of different journaling methods you can use from you know just morning pages which is what uh, free flow writing of your day to specific prompts and questions to releasing through forgiveness and then another practice that is a non-negotiable for me is meditation which is something that I started last year something I haven't mentioned yet is that I grew up Buddhist so spirituality has always been something that I've been very open to but as um a young person meditating in the temple like was not a fun experience for me and I found it so challenging trying to turn off my thoughts and stay stay blind basically and I realized that meditating isn't about that at all it's not about the absence of thought it's about just calmness and taking time for yourself and obviously throughout meditation you are going to think and that's completely normal you're not doing it wrong and if anyone tells you you're meditating wrong just like tell them to leave um meditating is really about taking time for yourself it's about getting still with yourself and taking about that time because i guarantee you if you think about your life in the day-to-day it is rare first of all that you're just focusing on one task you might be watching netflix but also on your phone also talking to someone you might be making dinner but also on your phone sensing a theme here but it's rare that you're just doing one thing to begin with also it's incredibly rare that you're just taking silent time for yourself so actually reminding yourself that that's what true bliss is is experiencing that silence is so important and I don't know if you're one of those people that finds like in the shower, you have so many ideas, you have so many thoughts. And the reason that is, is because you have a chance to calm your mind. You're not talking to anyone else. You're not distracted by social media. And meditation gives you the chance to recreate that shower experience whenever you want. So I cannot stress like how incredible and amazing I think meditation is. When I started it last year, I just wanted to meditate every day for a week and see how I went with things. And now 540 days later, I've meditated every day and I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Oh my gosh. And you did a post about this, right? Like 500 days of meditation. Oh my gosh. You guys have to go watch that. I'm so excited to watch it because I was like, I I agree where I started. I'm like, I'm just going to do it for a few days. And then all my best ideas, like business ideas, pivots, everything have come from even a five minute meditation. And like you said, it can be anything. I think we all think it has to be like a 45 minute floating in the clouds, seeing white. And it's like, no, you could be walking around a lake and meditating. Like if you're just in silence, it's it's amazing what can come to you. So that's amazing. I, I can't wait to watch that video. I would love to move to rapid fire questions. So are you ready? We're just going to ask quick and you can answer whatever comes to your mind first. Okay, I'm scared that these are going to be weird answers. <laughs> no, no, no. They're they're pretty easy ones. Beach or mountains? Oh, beach. Fave food? Mmm, hard. My favorite thing to cook is vegetal, vegetable lasagna, but I rarely make it. Um, oh, my favorite Uber Eats order right now is a, a crawfish boil. So it's like you get loads of seafood in this like Cajun sauce and you eat it with your hands. You get these little gloves and it's amazing. Oh, that sounds amazing. What about fave destination spot? Oh, uh, probably right now I would say, oh, (laughs) Japan, Korea, and Hawaii. Ooh, love those. What about favorite brand? 
Oh, wait, what kind of brand? Anything, like anything that you're just like, can't live without every day. You're like, this brand is part of my life. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. I guess my skincare, I, um, I've used the same skincare for the past four years. So I use Arbonne skincare. So that's definitely a good one. Four years is a lifelong commitment in, in skincare land. Um, what about your human design? Do you know it? Oh, manifesting generator. Oh my gosh. All my friends and everyone I interview is a man gen. And I'm like, I need to look into why this is happening. I'm a reflector. So I need to learn more about that. What about your horoscope? Oh, I only know the main one, uh, which is Libra. Okay. Yeah. I just learned my rising and moon. And I was going to ask you, I'm like, do you even know what that means? Like I'm still learning. So yeah, I'm like, I don't really get it. What about your favorite color? Pink. Favorite spiritual mentor? Mm, it changes a lot. I do love Sada Simone at the minute. Favorite meditation style? I think just sitting and listening to music. Also, <laughs> I've just recorded my own meditation and I use that to manifest $1,800. So can I like shamelessly say myself? Oh, yeah. We're, we need that meditation. We need to drop it in the show notes. I need $1,800 with your meditation. What about your favorite mindset hack? Mm, my favorite mindset hack. Oh, I like tapping. Um, tap with Brad on YouTube is incredible and seems so weird when you first start doing it, but tapping on the acupressure points in your body to release stress, to release tension, to release limiting beliefs, so powerful. I am just hearing about tapping this year and everybody says the same thing. They're like, it's life-changing and tap with Brad with someone. Do you know who Gala Darling is? Yeah, I tap with Brad and Gala Darling. I see them as like my tapping parents. I'm like, oh. Because okay. yeah. I saw she, yeah, she did something called like the vortex and had him speak yeah. or be appearing there. And I'm like, who are these people? I need to see what's going on. And everyone's obsessed with them. So I'm glad you, you can vouch that they're the people to go to. Finally, what is your favorite manifestation? Okay. So maybe my second trip to Hawaii, I went to Hawaii at the beginning of 2019. I was like, I am obsessed with this place and mark my words, I'm going to come back one day. And I actually ended up going back three months later, completely out of the blue. I was meant to be flying from New Zealand to LA and it was actually cheaper for me to fly from New Zealand to Hawaii and then to LA. And then while I was there, I met this girl and I just innocently said, wow, I really love your outfit. And then she's like, hey, do you want to hang out with me today? And turns out she's from Melbourne. So after traveling around the US together, we both came back to Melbourne and we're now best friends. Wow. That is such a good story. So you're going to be back in Hawaii? That's that's what we're going to be seeing from you in a few years? Yes. I love it. So where can people find you? Instagram, your new podcast, tell us everything. Yeah. So on Instagram, I am Afia Salter underscore. Don't worry if you don't know the spelling. I'm sure it will be in the show notes. Um, my website, effietalkslife.com. And my new podcast is called The Manifest Edit and also link in the show notes. Ooh, I cannot wait for that to come out. I am so excited for that launch. Thank you so much. This has been so amazing, jam-packed with value. I'm so excited for your podcast and I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. There you have it, Athea Salter giving us all the tips on mindset manifestation, and I hope you found value in her story and how she overcame extreme hardship and grief and really adversity to get to where she is today. It's so powerful, and it really just shows you how powerful your mindset can be. I'm so grateful to have her on, and I'm so glad that she shared practical tips. You guys know I love that, the practical tips to start mindset shifting and manifesting, so be sure to check her out on Instagram, her new podcast coming out. She has so much 
value on her channel. So you don't want to miss that. And definitely be sure to follow my podcast at non-expert opinion pod or my personal handle at Chelsea Rife. You can also visit in my non-expert opinion.com or write into the podcast. Hello at in my non-expert opinion.com and join my Facebook group. It's called Reframe Your Mindset to Change Your Life, where I share all about mindset manifestation. I go live, I do interviews, I share graphics and charts, a lot of juicy stuff going on in there. And I will be launching a lot of announcements in the next few weeks. So if you want to be the first to know about it, be sure to join that Facebook group, Reframe Your Mindset to Change Your Life. And with that, I will see you all next week. 